Hello and welcome to the conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Malik. Malik! <laughs> I was waiting for that. Malik! <laughs> welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's always great to be here, Heil. This is kind of a, a place setter of an episode. This is a return to normalcy. DK Vine's kind of been a bit shambolic the last couple of weeks, but I am happy to report with this episode, we are back in business. I have officially moved. I am now set up properly to do conversations. The Idaho crew has finished moving and half the gang is returning from PAX as as we speak. So we will be resuming regular content and we will be <laughs> resuming regular episodes of the conversation in this, the final couple of weeks of stinky ape summer here in the northern cremosphere. Very, very nice. Yeah, and you know, Malik, it's it's summer for you too, technically, uh for the yeah, both of us. Yeah. We're 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 both above the equator. And as I've grown older and I no longer have to, you know, go back to school, I, I'm no longer bound by that set calendar of when the cultural summer is. Like, oh, you know, you go back to school, summer's over, it's fall, you know, deal with it. Suck yeah. it up. Uh, because I don't have that <laughs> hanging over my head anymore. It's one of the benefits, one of the perks of being an adult is, you know, you work all summer anyway. So <laughs> w what does it becoming September really mean? But because there's no marker for the end of cultural summer for me, this couple of weeks at the end of summer has become my favorite period of time for the season because it's still technically summer you're still going to get sunny weather it might be a little bit too hot for your taste but it's yes. starting to cool down you'll 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 get a cool day here or there places are no longer just teeming with throngs of writhing masses it's just you know it, it's it's mellowed out everywhere you can kind of come and go as you please and you get all of the cool halloween shit as well so oh yeah it's kind of a win-win all around. So I I'm looking forward to the last couple of weeks of Stinky Ape Summer. We're going to have some great episodes lined up for you as we round out your summer season going into autumn. Or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, like our friend Freezer in the live stream chat, uh, we're, we're going to get you ready for uh, spring. So there you go. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it being the end of summer we recently passed another 25th anniversary because this was the big summer of the 25th anniversary of banjo kazooie as i'm sure you're aware malik but uh -huh. this 25th anniversary it's a little bit more minor all things considered and <laughs> it's one that dk vine would have historically ignored mm-hmm you know what I'm talking about, because I invited you to be oh, on this yeah, episode. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. It's the 25th anniversary of the Donkey Kong Country cartoons premiere in the United States. When I said it's more minor, that wasn't me just slagging off on the cartoon as I want to do. It's it's because, yeah, it, it's one region's premiere for the cartoon, but it was already in France, it was already in Canada. We were getting it like two years reheated leftovers, right? Like it. it oh yeah. It, it like, wasn't new to you yeah. at the time, so no, no. But <laughs> it, it being 
the early days of the internet, before we had these vast international communities comparing notes with each other, I didn't know about the Donkey Kong Country cartoons. So August 5th, 1998, I sat down to watch it all anxious. It was like Christmas morning for me. And yeah, I didn't know this was like a show that had been on the air for two years in France, a year in Canada. I, I had no inkling that this was anything. I didn't know the history. And well, my reaction will get into, but I want to be, <laughs> I want to be clear about something up front as we begin this episode. So I am still not what you would call a fan of the Donkey Kong yeah. Country cartoon series. However, this episode will not be me just burying it or ragging on it as I've historically done. I will be pointing out some of my issues that I had with it, at the very least back in the day, maybe some that are still kind of niggling at my soul in the present, but this episode mm -hmm. is more about recent developments in my psyche. It's about how I have come to, at the very least, a reluctant peace with the cartoon's existence. I am no longer trying to convince people on my little soapbox that the cartoon is not good or, or it's beneath the standards that we should expect from a property bearing the trademark Donkey Kong Country. I, yeah, I, I pass that shit, Malik. Don't worry. I no, no longer, no, yeah, yeah. I no longer feel like there is an existential war for the soul of Donkey Kong, which makes <laughs> all of this sound far more dramatic than it actually ever was. <laughs> it has been a quarter century. We have a new animated interpretation of the Kongs that has recently left theaters. It's, it's on physical home media. It's on Peacock right now. You can buy it on demand, but you know, we, we've got that. We've got video game Donkey Kong having gone through multiple developers since 1998. So I just have to let it go, Malik. And that's what this episode is about. It's about how I let go of my demons. How I made peace <laughs> with the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. So... That's good. I'm, I'm glad you could grow from that, Hyle. Well, and I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring you in because you are, of course, the cartoon gamer and you are an avowed fan of the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. So you're here to balance <laughs> out my bad juju. And I'm not talking about Mumbo Jumbo's beloved totem pole from Banjo Kazooie. You are here to be the sugar to my saltiness. You are here for every fan of the cartoon who would disagree with every bad word I would ever say about it. <laughs> now, I wouldn't say I would disagree with every bad thing that you say about <laughs> it, but I'm certainly, I would say I'm very forgiving of the show, but don't worry, I'll be right there with you on some of these things, because I have been watching the show, for the, if, shockingly, if you can believe it, for the first time, front to back, for, uh, well... I guess I'll say it now because I'm making a video on the DKC cartoon. And I was like, yeah. I should probably give this thing, you know, a fair shake and watch it all. And yeah, I got quite a few things to say about it. I'll agree with you on some things and a couple other things I will explain. And yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I do want to clarify that yes, for extremely long-time conversation listeners. The conversation mm -hmm. did do a two-parter on the Donkey Kong Country cartoon way back in our garbage 
trash fire first season. <laughs> so this is less of a summary of the cartoon. We're, we're not going over the complete history. We're not going over Donkey Kong Planet or, or whatever that show is called. We're, mm-hmm. we're not getting into any uh, of the like weird Bon Mots like, oh, you know, they, they fired the writers because of all the sexy racist oh, dang. jokes. I wrote, I wrote a note about that. Okay. You, you, can, you can bring it up. You can bring it up. I'm just saying we're not going to give a comprehensive history of the show. This is more okay. to explain how DK Vine as an entity has softened on the cartoon since 2013 or so. But actually the history starts before that because, you know, I'm not the same guy I was, Malik. I have grown mm-hmm. up a fair bit in these last 10 plus years. And that includes my perspective on children's cartoons. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope this episode will be a catharsis for all of us. But before I dig into it, I have some due diligence. And the most important due diligence at the front is a hearty rest in peace to our fake sponsor, from the last stinky ape summer, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett passed away this oh. past Labor Day weekend. And whatever you may think about Mr. Buffett's musical output, whether you're a fan, whether you would not consider yourself a parrot head whatsoever, I think it's safe to say that he has left a mark on the beach-going culture of the Gulf Coast and down into the Caribbean and wherever you may celebrate with a nice frosty margarita and does make me think we should really get some real sponsors here on the conversation because, you know, we we only really have fake ones and then, you know, we get them killed. So (laughs) rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. Thank you for all the memories and for the songs in which you will immortalized i didn't know who he was until he passed away <laughs> oh no oh no <laughs> uh, okay so yeah i've he, heard the name yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he, he's he's the guy who does like all the songs about going to the beach and getting drunk with like regret and shame and yeah okay i've heard him before then yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because because we don't have real sponsors on the conversation, I do need to plug our <laughs> Patreon. It's at dkvine.com forward slash Patreon or patreon.com forward slash dkvine. Yes, we have no legitimate sponsors and our fake ones are now deceased. So <laughs> we get by solely on the good support of you. So if you want to support dkvine then check us out on our Patreon. We also have a merchandise store, and just in time for cooler weather, assuming, you know, you're heading into cooler weather, we have our old-school shirt, now available as a long-sleeve t-shirt, a crew-neck sweater, or a hoodie. This is the shirt that is a Kong College uh, sort of um, varsity shirt um celebrating you know wrinkly kong school from off of donkey kong Country (laughs) 2 and donkey kong land 2 and you can get yours right now at dkvine.com forward slash merchandise or just finding us on t public malik 
you mentioned that you have a YouTube channel and that you're working on a video about the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. Would you like yeah. to give a quick plug to the life and times of the cartoon gamer? <laughs> okay, I, I like how you worded that. That makes me sound more important than I actually am. You're more important than I am, so, you know, <laughs> oh, come embrace on. it. Nah, embrace nah. it. So, okay, fine. Just for now, I will. So, I got a channel. I'm the cartoon gamer. I do stuff for did you know gaming and other people and things like that but my channel i talk about video games cartoons a lot of stuff from canada uh i was in the middle of uh donkey kong marathon the kongathon i'll unofficially call it but yeah this is uh yeah this is my way of doing canadian content quota and talking about donkey kong so uh stay tuned for that video when it comes out and if it's already come out i uh hope you didn't hate it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I loved all your videos on the games, so I will look forward to the video on the cartoon, even though that's not my area of expertise. <laughs> because obviously, okay. you know, I, I am a Donkey Kong Country video game fanatic. I am a first-generation DKC fan. I got on board the very week it came out, running in a blockbuster video. But even before then, I saw the commercials for DKC, and I was like... Oh my god, this looks like the most amazing game ever. And it turned out it was actually the most amazing <laughs> game ever, at least until Donkey Kong Country 2 came out a year after. Yeah. I first learned of the existence of the Donkey Kong Country cartoon show. Like, the very existence, the very idea of it, by reading my parents' TV guide. TV Guide, of mm -hmm. course, is still a magazine published here in the U.S. It's historically it's been known for having the TV listings like before the era of streaming, before the era of even those channels that would tell you what everything is on. You, you've learned what was on and when by reading the TV Guide schedule. I never knew about TV Guides myself, actually. I've never seen one in the wild. <laughs> so I'll take your word for it. It's an archaic, outdated concept. They still publish TV Guide, but I don't know what it actually entails nowadays. But mm -hmm. I, I would thumb through my parents' copy because it would arrive in the mail every week. And, you know, it's like, well, what's going to be on TV? What's going to be on TV? Because <laughs> this is still, you know, it's getting online around this time. But I was not, you know, I, I, I had one foot in the old world, let's say. So I, I was reading yeah. TV Guide. And it was interesting because this was the month that the cable channel, the family channel, which was mostly known for like family fair. It started off as a religious based channel and it kind of became a little bit more secular by airing reruns of the Adam West Batman show, among other things. Yeah. Not to be confused with the family channel in Canada, which was basically our Disney channel yeah. for like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, the family channel had been purchased by 20th, 20th Century Fox, and Fox mm -hmm. was rebranding it as the Fox Family Channel, and that would go into effect at noon on August 15th, 1998. So I was like, well, you know, a new cable channel. It's basically in the paradigm of... Fox Kids, the programming block on the Fox 
television network that would air a lot of popular kids programming of the 1990s, like Batman, the animated series, talking about Batman again, but it also, you know, was the home of the Power Rangers. Uh, I, I think Animaniacs. Animaniacs, yeah. Digimon, the new Woody Woodpecker show in the late nineties. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a whole cable channel, you know, in that model was was still intriguing to me, even though I was kind of aging out of Fox Kids and Nickelodeon and all of that. You know, I I still was intrigued. You know, what what cool stuff might they be airing? And I thought my mm-hmm. eyes were deceiving me when I saw a listing. For Donkey Kong Country. There's no description because I think TV Guide only gave like little paragraph or like two sentence bylines for shows in the prime time block, like 8 to 11. Um, if it was just during the day, they would just give a listing for the TV show, no description whatsoever. So I just saw a show called Donkey Kong Country. And that was it. That was all mm-hmm. I had to go off of, Malik. All I knew was that Donkey Kong Country would premiere August 15th, 1998 on the Fox Family Channel. And usually got TV <laughs> Guide a week or I don't know, maybe even two weeks before the actual schedule kicked in. So that mm-hmm. would lead to a lot of anticipation. Like if you were a kid and you actually like, cared about watching tv you're like "Ooh, i'm really interested in this program i can't wait for it let the hype commence in my brain sort of like the video game hype cycle i talked about earlier this season but on a much smaller and more pathetic scale yeah so (laughs) i remember my family went to the beach for our annual like beach trip the weekend before the premiere so the weekend of like august 8th and yeah so that beach trip, I I was thinking about two things. How to get the ice key on Banjo-Kazooie. Because you know, Banjo-Kazooie was still recent in my head. And I was, you know, imagining, oh, Treasure Trove Cove. You know, I'm at the beach. You know, shark, shark. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that in my head. And I was also fantasizing about what this Donkey Kong Country cartoon might possibly be about what beloved characters <laughs> might appear, how it would be adapted. Like, how how would you adapt Donkey Kong Country? Because up until this point, we had gotten three Donkey Kong Country games, three Donkey Kong Land games, and Diddy Kong Racing, and Donkey Kong appeared in Mario Kart 64. Now, I had no way of knowing that the cartoon was basically two years old or that, you know, it, it was pulling from... DKC and DKC2, and then, of course, it couldn't pull from DKC3 because that came out after it had already premiered. I I didn't know any of yeah. that. I just knew they were making a Dunk on Country cartoon. So I, I, I distinctly remember I had certain thoughts. Mm-hmm. I, Your mind probably just wandered. Yeah, yeah. Would the Animal Buddies be in it? Like, I was certain, Malik, at the very least, that our good buddy Rambi would be in it. Because it's such a stark and resounding visual when you first play Donkey Kong Country, this gorilla and this monkey riding a rhinoceros. 
Yeah. It's what everybody remembers. It's why Retro brought back Rambi in Donkey Kong Country Returns above all other animal buddies. So I, I was certain at the very least, yeah, Rambi will be in the DKC cartoon. And I also got very excited about other possibilities, like, say, Swanky Kong as a character. I thought, <laughs> you know, Swanky, that would be a fun, perfect sort of side character for an ongoing yeah. Donkey Kong cartoon. Like, I, I wasn't thinking about how they would structure it per se, or like it, it would be basically patterned after a network sitcom from the 1970s. I, but I, I was thinking, you know, you're going to have to have <laughs> a reoccurring cast of characters and who would be a fun character with a lot of potential for humor? Swanky Kong. So. All around, I was setting myself up for disappointment. Just, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the thing, the thing was, Malik, like, Donkey Kong Country was my biggest fandom, my most intense fandom I, I had ever had in my young, short life at that point. Like, I had liked other things. Like, <laughs> I, I think going down the list, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, I, I was big into Pee Wee's Playhouse, Sesame Street. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Ghostbusters. I was, I was in the real Ghostbusters. And, um, then, then I, you know, Batman sort of became an evergreen for me. And, but, but like everything kind of fell short compared to Dog Kong Country. That was mine. That was the first thing where it, it just felt like every aspect of it appealed to me. And it made me feel like, a part of it belonged to me. Like you, I had that little possessive lizard fandom part of my brain activated. Like this, this is mine, and I yeah. want it done perfectly because we had never <laughs> had an adaptation, at, at least in the West, of Donkey Kong Country. Mario, you know, grew up with the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and seen Mario comics, and of course, I, I was aware Sonic the Hedgehog had it. Donkey Kong Country was something I had entertained the possibility of it getting an adaptation since it came out, but part of me didn't know if it was ever going to happen. So to have myself be on the precipice of it, at least as far as the U.S. market was concerned, uh, it, it was very exciting, but also kind of nerve-wracking a little bit. And yeah, like part of me briefly considered the possibility that I might not like it because it would fail to meet the parameters my brain set for it. That turned out to be entirely accurate, but I didn't listen to that part of my brain before <laughs> August 15th. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I didn't know that the show had already premiered to the north of me in Canada and that mm -hmm. uh, some, somebody like Malik would be watching it um, before I ever even knew of its existence. Because, yeah, so this is weird for me because I come at it from a completely different place because, uh, so let's see, I, I had already played the Donkey Kong Country games. Well, just the first one. If if you see my video talking about my uh, history with the DKC games, the first game was the only one I had. It was basically in the house before I was even born, yeah. and I would play that when I was like four years old or three years old or whatever. And then uh, the Donkey Kong Country show... Uh, so yeah, it was one of the first uh, one of the first shows on Teletoon, which 
the uninitiated will tell you was our Cartoon Network equivalent, but, uh, I mean, we did have a lot of Cartoon Network imports, but it was more than that, especially early on, and Donkey Kong Country was one of the, like, big shows that was being touted as, like, look at all this different stuff that we got from all over the world and our own stuff. Donkey Kong Country is, like, leading in terms of, like, 3D animation. It's gonna be great. So, Donkey Kong, the the TV show, I didn't have any, like, expectations, especially as, like, a four-year-old. I just remember seeing it one of my earliest memories is just seeing it at like 5.30 in the morning or something. And yeah, it was just kind of always there. And <laughs> yeah, like again, I was like three or four years old. So I really didn't have much in the way of what to expect. But I was just happy to see that my favorite characters, even at the time, uh, they were talking and doing things and <laughs> I could follow along very vaguely. But I was like, okay, yeah, th- th- this looks like Donkey Kong. This is Donkey Kong Country. Sure. And DK's teeth are kind of freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. it. I'll, I'll say my first good thing about the cartoon. I like Donkey Kong's teeth in the cartoon a lot more than <laughs> the teeth he would really uh, adopt in the buyout era of Donkey Kong. Like, the <laughs> big, the big, ghastly, toothy grin... I, I like that his cartoon teeth at least resemble more of a, a real gorilla's teeth. <laughs> they're terrifying. Sometimes they'll just come out and they're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> I, st- I still, I still, I'm... I still don't have a problem with him. That was one aspect I did not have a problem with. <laughs> he looks like a shark. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of the beach and the shark, but I'm in the opposite direction where I'm like, oh man, he got a really good dentist after the DKC cartoon. He's got <laughs> nice, as you've described it in the past. Uh, I'll say that the conversation you did back in the day on the DKC cartoon, that was one of the first ones I ever heard from you guys. I still have it on my first iPhone right beside me. But yeah, like you, I think you guys called like chiclet teeth. Yeah, yeah chiclet I, teeth. I, I prefer yeah. the chiclet teeth. <laughs> uh yeah, never been a fan of the chiclet teeth. I I like I like that they've toned it down in the games at least. But <laughs> I I like the DKC cartoon teeth and I like uh Donkey Kong racing trailer. You can see that Rare was starting to implement like um teeth so he would just wouldn't have the gummy um grin at all times. Um but mm-hmm. but they were very like small teeth. It was a subtle little design choice. It wasn't like look at him, look at him. He has teeth. He's going to chomp ya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I think that's the way a lot of our listeners um would have probably felt about the Donkey Kong Country cartoon, Malik. Like for me, I was coming into it as an older Donkey Kong Country fan because Donkey Kong Country 1994, I think it hit me right at the right age where I wasn't too old to be cynical about it, but I wasn't young enough where um it would just kind of be another cool thing i i think it hit me at the point in my life where i was just geared precisely for something like that to come along and for me to become a hyper obsessive weirdo literalist when it comes to Mm -hmm. especially rares take on donkey kong of course i've mellowed you know throughout the buyout era into the returns era uh, into into the rare renaissance you know i mean donkey kong's gone through multiple developers since then and we've had all of them provide their own interpretation on the canon which all you know coexist with past interpretations but at the time 
you know, it was just rare, really, as the auteur studio behind Donkey Kong Country and all of the characters. And even when Donkey Kong would appear in something like Mario Kart 64, Rare would still get this huge credit because they were the Donkey Kong studio. So I, I viewed like their word as like the word of God. It was the word of canon. And the comparison I always make when describing how I've historically felt about the Donkey Kong Country cartoon, it's how those weirdos who hate the Lord of the Rings film trilogy are <laughs> like, the, because it, it, it somehow strays too afar from J.R.R. Tolkien's like literary work. And I'm just like, they're, they're great movies and it gets so much right. And it's like, yeah, but Tom Bombadil isn't in them. And I'm like, who cares? That character isn't necessary. And they're like, no, he is because he is in the book. And, and so I, I'm kind of like that with Donkey Kong Country because like the video games mean so much to me that I don't think at the age I was at in 1998 that any adaptation not done by Rare themselves would have passed the, the smell test for me. I, I think I would have found fault in it no matter what but Mm -hmm. in my opinion looking back on it i do think my first impressions on the dkc cartoon were sullied sullied i say because the first episode that was shown to u.s audiences who weren't you know jet-setting international travelers (laughs) <laughs> it was actually the 19th episode of the series. So it, it yeah. was, it was an episode knee deep in the premise and it was not designed to be an introductory episode. So new viewers who were like me sitting around their television all day <laughs> on August 15th, waiting for the premiere of Donkey Kong country were just kind of dropped in cold to this interpretation of Donkey Kong Country. So things like the Crystal Coconut were not explained whatsoever in this episode. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it kind of felt like we should already know because, yes, it was the 19th episode of a show. So <laughs> as a Donkey Kong Country fanatic, I was put off immediately because this show was assuming... <laughs> I knew its language. I knew its world of Donkey Kong Country. So it almost felt passive-aggressive. Like, oh, you don't know what the Crystal yeah. Coconut is? You fake fan? It's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> this this thing we just introduced? <laughs> what kind of a fan are you? <laughs> so, so the episode that premiered August 15th, 1998, as, as kind of this preview of what you could expect from Fox Family, was mm-hmm. the episode entitled i spy with my hairy eye um yeah which is a terrible name because your their their eyes are not hairy yeah it just brings up horrible imagery yeah. obviously donkey kong does not need to shave his eyeball that's just not that's not <laughs> part of the lore <laughs> this was a really weird episode about uh k rule builds a candy robot uh which he calls a candy clone <laughs> Uh, to, yep. to steal the crystal coconut, right? And so yeah. th- this episode started with Donkey and Diddy guarding the crystal coconut for Cranky. 
And they start like wishing for bananas and it just like blinks into existence. Like, boom, boom. And, and they just yep. make a pile of bananas. And I, I'm like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> there, there's this magical device that can just blink things into existence. <laughs> is this I dream of genie? Like, th- this isn't Donkey Kong country. <laughs> and. Like, there was such a heavy focus on the character of Candy Kong in this episode, and the interpretation of Candy is the biggest alteration from video games to the cartoon, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, what? what is this? I yeah. don't like this. I can imagine that. If I was your age and I was, yeah, if if this happened like now, I guess, and I was popping into episode 19 for some reason, I would feel the same way. Like, what? What is even happening in this show? <laughs> Had they started with the traditional first episode, uh, Bad Hair Day, I think I would have, um, if not embrace it, I think I would have at least warmed up to the concept a little bit because that they do take their time to explain everything yeah. in that episode. They sit you down, they explain things. There are many times where I'm watching something with a friend or something, and they'll say, it's like, if you introduced me to the show with this episode here, this would have completely turned me off. And it's like, well, it's a good thing I didn't do that. Now, did I? (laughs) It's why I've never been able to get into the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon, because everybody tells me, you know, it gets really good. But I just can't mm-hmm. get past the early episodes. And, and, and they, they tell me, well, you know, you can skip past them. I'm like, I can't. I, 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 I really can't. Um, yeah. so yeah, I do think for something like this, first impressions do mean a lot. And of course, when I was expecting all of this grand stuff, uh, like I, I was expecting basically a one to one adaptation. From the games, like maybe on a smaller scale, like they wouldn't go on this huge grand adventure every episode, every week. But I I, I was expecting something like kind of more like a hangout, you know, uh, just comfort food kind of show with the characters I loved. And it it it, it was just um, I don't know. It like the the whole structure of it like I said it it's kind of modeled after a sitcom. Um and yeah. so you have a lot of like just antagonism between the characters, like misunderstandings, like an episode of Three's Company and characters get oh, yeah. angry at each other and they're just always so hostile, but not like the fun <laughs> kind of bitterness like that video game Cranky has. There's just it it felt almost mean-spirited to somebody who just loved these characters and loved their relationship. But again, again, I, I feel like had I started with any other episode other than I Spy with My Hairy Eye, which to this day remains one of the least favorite I've ever seen, um, I, I think maybe my opinion would have been a lot softer early on. Interesting, because again, when I've been I've been watching the series in the production order and like, yeah, I won't get into the whole history of the show and yeah. whatnot, but yeah, like like how we said, like the original fires were writer, the original fires were writered, <laughs> the original yeah. writers were fired because they their scripts were terrible, and then the guys had to come in. Nelvana came in, and they had to write around the storyboards because ten ten boards were already done. And I feel like the first season is 
god awful. Yeah. <laughs> to to be perfectly honest, when I was watching the show and then I was thinking about uh watching the show in the past, seeing episodes here and there, I was like, I don't remember the episodes being this disjointed and structurally unsound, but then when episode 13 onward, it felt more in line with what I remember, and it's like, okay, this feels more in line with, yeah, what I liked about the show, so, yeah, it's interesting how you feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, again, I probably would have found fault with it no matter what, but... It was yeah. just the biggest deflating thing of my Donkey Kong fandom to finally get an adaptation and have it be so profoundly disappointing, so weird. And there, there was almost like this uncanny valley thing going on. I'm not talking about the CG animation, which, you know, it w- was impressive for its day. It didn't look as good as the video games, but... For yeah. its budget, for what they had to work with, it's it's still pretty impressive to this day. Um, yeah. But it, but it was an un- uncanny valley because it was like taking things that I knew so well that I thought about every day of my life and just making them seem alien and unfamiliar. And it, it's it's like waking up and your parents have been replaced by pod people, aliens. <laughs> and they might look like your parents, but then they just, you know, go <gasps> at you when they talk. <laughs> and, and you're like, well, that's not my mom. That's not my dad. <laughs> oh, that's great. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see that. If you had asked young Heil what his biggest problem with the show was in 1998, he would have said with a straight face, well, it's the alterations to the continuity of Donkey Kong Country, because that's the way young me talked. Um, (laughs) uh, It's what they changed unnecessarily from the games to the cartoon. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, this is kind of minor compared to other properties adaptations especially from the 1990s um yeah i i mean there there's some big ones sure but donkey kong island is renamed as congo bongo island and it doesn't look the same either it's shaped like a banana which you know i can see why they did that uh because i can take that yeah donkey kong island is objectively a really shit name that we're kind of all just married (laughs) to at this point um and, and while the, you know, head shape, like the, the mountain that's carved in the face of Donkey Kong or maybe Cranky Kong or maybe one of their ancestors, that's a very striking image on a video game map screen. You, you kind of don't have a lot of real estate to work with in a cartoon. So you're going to, you know, elongate it. And then if you're going to, you know, well, what if we still make it a fun shape? Well, let's make it a banana. I, I get why they changed it, but that, that was a big strike one for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still bothered that it's called Congo Bongo, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, like, let's be honest, the Mushroom Kingdom is also kind of a shit name, but they left that <laughs> for the Super Show. Um, yeah. The Crystal Coconut was invented to be the MacGuffin of the show over the Banana Horde. And, you know, uh, again, I, I understand why they made that choice as an adult, but as a kid, that was that was another sin. Uh, Crocodile Isle is never referenced. The Kremlins just reside on Donkey Kong Island. (laughs) 
yeah, okay, you know, that's that sequel yeah, lore, sure. you know, if maybe they're just keeping to the first game on, oh, wait, there's Dixie Kong, never mind. Uh, Wrinkly, Swanky, and the Animal Buddies, they're all missing in action, and in their place, we get new characters like Bluster Kong and Eddie the Mean Old Yeti, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, wh- why are you bringing in new toys when you're not even playing with all the toys you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> King K. Rule kind of given a hard split with the faction of pirate Kremlins, like they're two separate factions. And for me, like K. Rule being a part-time pirate is one of the most interesting things about him. But uh, okay, yeah. Um, but but yo, know, all of that stuff seemed like such a big deal when you're a kid and when you really, really care what other people think. You're like, oh no, what if this cartoon sways people's opinions and they think this is the real Donkey Kong canon? <laughs> oh no, oh no, what will I do? Uh, but you know, looking back, it is kind of laughable how minor all of that is as an adult because the deviations made were... You know, about on par with the changes the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and its follow-ups made to the Mario canon, or I guess the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons made to Sonic canon. I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with either one, but uh, probably, probably. Yeah, pro- I think so. Yeah. Or even <laughs> even the changes that this year's Super Mario Brothers movie made to Donkey Kong lore. Um. It's all kind of just minor nonsense that you don't really need to get hung up on unless you're an obsessive literalist weirdo like I was. And still am to an extent, but, you know, I've also grown up a little bit. Because... Yeah, same here. A lot of that stuff, looking back, looking back as a failed screenwriter, I can at least recognize that, well, that stuff was in service to the structure of the cartoon, and it for it being a reoccurring, you know, 22 minute adventure every week. Uh, you know, a pile of bananas does not work as the centerpiece, <laughs> as the MacGuffin of a TV show. Um, you need consistency in kids' cartoons, especially when it comes through 3D models using rudimentary CG animation and a very limited budget. So, yes. you know, you, you, you want K. Rule to have the same design throughout. You don't want him shifting personalities if you just want him to stick in that, with that same CG model. And, you know, then if you want to bring in Pyre Kremlings, why not just come up with a new character like Captain Scurvy? Uh, yeah, I, I get all of that now, right? But try yeah. telling that to a fanatical, rare zealot in 1998. I wasn't gonna have it, Malik. I, I just, I, I just couldn't yeah, abide not. by the changes. Yeah, no, I can get that because, oh man, <laughs> I just like how you say a pile of bananas does not work. They're not even like magic. <laughs> so, so a pile of bananas works. In a video game, because as like, because so we we've talked about the original Donkey Kong Country game before here on the conversation and throughout DK Vine, and our theory that so much of DKC is just a piss take when, when it comes to like making fun of video game conventions. Like in, instead of a princess getting kidnapped, it's a big pile of bananas. That's a that's a garbage storyline, but it's supposed to be stupid. It's supposed to be 
kind of smirking at just how dumb video games are. King K. Rule, while he evolved into a really interesting, nuanced character, I, I think he was just originally uh, your your stock Bowser type baddie. Um, even his name is garbage, King K. Rule. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he became so much more than that, but at, in that first game, he's kind of just um, an afterthought. He's kind of just aha, here's the big lizard boss, whatever. It's the end. Mm-hmm. Donkey on Country was about taking video game conventions and elevating it with, you know, state of the art graphics and music and um, immersion and, and everything else was kind of like uh, an afterthought. It was half baked on purpose. And it wasn't until we got to the subsequent games that, well, we started developing Donkey Kong lore and making it interesting and, you know, oh, oh, wow, there's actually some meat on the bones of these characters. Oh, oh. You can actually make K. Rule a really interesting guy. And um, wh- what if we actually take Diddy Kong on this character arc? And, and oh, now Dixie Kong needs to go on a similar character arc because she's a really interesting character. And oops, we've actually accidentally created a really well-rounded cast of characters and a really interesting world. We didn't mean to, but we did. But yeah. that that base, that that like... Ground zero of Donkey Kong Country in that first game. I th- I do think it was a piss take, and there's not a lot to work with if you're taking that as your basis for a 22 minute kid show. Yeah, I would say so. Because yeah, like you just said, like it works in the games. It's like I don't really need a lot of motivation to go on an adventure. It's like something got stolen from me, and I want it back. But, yeah, in something like a cartoon like this, you need something more. Like, again, like the whole adventure thing. I would have loved to have seen them go on crazy adventures just to find little things here and there and maybe uh, thwart the bad guys along the way. But even with the Crystal Coconut, like, I've just I've just noticed just they'll just walk like the Kremlings will just walk up into their place and just steal it. The door is wide open and they'll just take it and then they'll give it back and then someone will grab it. And it'll just, it's just a constant back and forth. And yeah, just but this MacGuffin does not really work as something gripping. <laughs> it's not gripping. It's not supposed to be gripping really. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really didn't like the fact that it was just like in the, in the center of, of Cranky's floor plan, it was just in this like podium, it's just and right there. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't have like any locks on it, on his place. You know, the doors no. are like you said, wide <laughs> open, and you can just walk right up and grab it. And it's like, oh, it's mine now. And you then you're all powerful because it can grant any wish whatsoever. Uh, and why didn't you know Donkey Kong just wish for the Kremlings to go away? Yeah, it's like two dudes like playing at recess and it's like, I got this soccer ball and I'm going to take it from your fort that you made from like the trees over here and I'm going to take it and steal it back. That's what I feel like it is with DK and the Kremlings in this show. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's essentially yeah. like all of the infinity stones from Marvel, like wrapped into one. But instead of like, there's this huge struggle for them. It's just this, like, it just, it's just there in this complete package and. People pass it around like a hot potato, but nobody ever thinks to just wish away their enemies. Like, 
K. Mm-hmm. Roll gets it. The first thing you should do is just like Thanos, snap his fingers and the Kongs turn to dust. And then, oh, problem solved. I win. Yep. Uh, but they don't do that. They don't, they don't do Not that. They don't think. I don't feel and, so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. <laughs> I, I think the crystal coconut is a better MacGuffin for the cartoon than a pile of bananas, but you know, um, it still sucks. It's, it's, it still, <laughs> it still sucks. And it sucked watching the 19th episode and them not explaining what this thing was. <laughs> and, uh, that just put me off, man. It just, just, just put a sour taste in my old mouth hole. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. Like, like I said. That yeah, I would be pretty. I'd be in the same situation as you. It's like, what? What is this? <laughs> now my me for some kind of fool. Now my second biggest problem, Malik, at the time, at the time, at the time, was that it was a musical. Mm-hmm. Now this little picadillo of mine, no doubt, stemmed from. Young Heil and and his hangups, because as I've often talked about on the conversation, I did not like kids media of my youth, more or less. Like, I, of course, I liked some of it, but I did not like the stuff made for kids that adults would then always show you because you were a kid. Because yeah. I didn't like to be talked down to or thought of as just a dumb kid. You know, even when I wanted to consume ostensibly kids programming or literature or whatever, I wanted to be thought of as a smart, clever little person. And so I gravitated to things that were more countercultural for, for kids, you know, uh, even if it was, you know, still mainstream like Nickelodeon, but Nickelodeon I, in my opinion, didn't talk down to kids. It, it empowered kids. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I like that. But I wasn't a Disney kid for that reason, because I felt like Disney was the kind of stuff that adults kind of pushed on kids and it didn't interest me. And so any cartoon that was a musical, I would immediately raise my eyebrow <laughs> and be like, come on. Why are you singing? Yeah, why are you singing? <laughs> I, I didn't understand musicals at that age. Um, didn't appeal to me, but because this was the era of the Disney Renaissance, and so those films were everywhere if you were a kid, um, yep. I, I felt like I had to kind of rebel against them. And so any cartoon, any animated production that had songs in it, I was just not going to like it. And because of that, I always felt like I had to rebel a little bit and seek out things like, well, Donkey Kong Country. So to have my favorite thing in the entire world become... (laughs) What you hated. (laughs) Yeah, like a really bad take on a Disney-style musical. Oh my god, that was a slap in the face face malik it felt so like donkey they were... kong used to tell you to hawk a loogie at life now they're hawking the loogie back at you <laughs> and they're making <laughs> you swallow it <laughs> as they sing <laughs> yeah i i can't imagine anything designed to 
turn off young me more than sticking two songs in an episode. You have very <laughs> limited time anyway, right? And you're sticking <laughs> two music numbers in most episodes. Ugh. Ugh. Most shows are lucky to get five songs in their run. God, you got two? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> now... In retrospect, I can admit some of the songs are fun in a very cheesy sort of way. Uh, some of them yeah. are catchy, but I, I was just never going to like this element. At, you know, it, it was just never going to win me over. And I think that was just like, had the cartoon been faithful, incredibly faithful to the games. That would have been one thing, but then when they started breaking out in song, I would have turned white as a sheep. <laughs> you think so? If Donkey Kong just busted out a microphone at the end of the, the DKC1 or 2, <laughs> that would have freaked you out? And, and this was before the DK rap, even. Like, this this was 1998, so this is before the DK rap, Donkey Kong playing bongos. Like the, yeah, the, before his musical career really yeah, took off. Yeah, like, may, maybe now, if they made a new Donkey Kong Country cartoon, and all knowledge of the previous one was stripped from my brain, and Donkey Kong <laughs> just busted out in a song, I would be like, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> I I guess. Um, he did play, like, All-Star and a bunch of other things on the bongos, like, 20 years ago, so. Right, right. Yeah, I can see this happening. Yeah, that that, that was my second biggest problem, Malik. I mean, I like the song. I guess I can say just a little bit of what I think about the songs as well. Like, I was listening to one, like, just the entire day today. And I was like, you know what? This is really, really good stuff. This is actually well put together. I really like it. In the context of the show, yeah, again, when you say that they just bust out and start singing it, sometimes, especially in the first season, there is no build-up to it whatsoever. There's not even, like, a drum beat in the background or things like that. They'll just, like, oh, there's this terrible thing going on. Let me sing for two minutes before we get to it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can see, I can see where you're coming from from that. <laughs> I I I remember when they first started breaking out a song. My first thought was, <laughs> I hope my parents aren't like walking into the room during mm-hmm. during this. Like you're like, sweating under your pits. Yeah, it's like I'm watching pornography or something. It, it's it's like what's going on here. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm ashamed. They better not break out into like wheels on the bus or so. I'm I'm half expecting Donkey Kong to start singing about the wheels on the bus going round and round. It's like that's when I'm done. <laughs> ditties ditties from donkey conga yeah just give it a few years <laughs> so <laughs> all that being said uh the structure of it was my third biggest problem because like i said there is a very rote sitcom like structure to the show and because of that, the humor is so tonally different from what we got <laughs> with Rare. And this doesn't feel like a huge problem nowadays, especially since we are so far removed from Rare's era with the franchise. Because when, when Rare was the sole creative force behind Donkey Kong and the DKU as a whole, you know, aside from cameo things like Mario Kart 64... Um, yeah, the the stark difference between their take on Donkey Kong and any adaptation, be it uh, the the cartoon or some 
manga that we wouldn't have translated over here for, you know, a decade <laughs> and a half or, you know, yeah. uh, an errant like kids book or comic strip. Um, it, it was just this huge tonal divide that like, it, it seemed like very few people got what rare was doing. They, they had, you know, their, their dry British sensibilities when it came to the humor and what I really appreciated about the humor of Donkey Kong Country, uh, rare era was it felt like it wasn't talking down to you. Like that was my biggest thing as a kid, right? Don't talk down to me. Treat me like I have some modicum of intelligence. And yeah, it, it felt like the characters had a bit of bite to them. Like not just Cranky Kong, but there is this mischievousness to it all. Like, you know, Funky Kong blatantly hits on candy kong in front of donkey <laughs> kong and th- there would be innuendos you know from time to time and i it the donkey kong country cartoon could certainly be subversive at times and in ways i didn't pick up on as a kid or you know like in in episodes that aired after i'd given up on the show entirely but yeah yeah the characters were drawn a bit broad and in service of that aforementioned sitcom like Three's Company structure. Like, for example, I fully recognize that the video game Candy Kong, especially from her only appearance <laughs> at the time of production in Donkey Kong Country, she was not a compelling character to draw from whatsoever. There, There is nothing going on. With OG yeah. Candy Kong. I recognize Had to that. do something. But I feel like they turned Candy into... And this is one of the biggest pratfalls, I think, a, a writer of a sitcom of that era or any era could make. And it's one that like I even parodied when I did my l- little sitcom. Um, it, it's the stock Killjoy Lady character. The, the one who is the serious, responsible one of the entire cast. Like, she is the only one who has uh, a sensible head on her shoulders. And because of that, she is serious. She is stern. She ruins the boys' fun. And it, it kind of creates this contrast where you're like, oh, I see, I'm, I'm not misogynistic. I'm writing this character. Uh, the, the, the only, um, sensible character is a lady. Uh, okay, but in the context of all of this, she's then the one who's not fun. She's the one who is just kind of the fly in the ointment. And <laughs> I, I feel like that also made her virtually unrecognizable from her canonical depiction, even though, you know, Candy was just this kind of, one-off joke character in the original game. Oh, what if uh what if a 1950s pinup was a gorilla? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like I recognize Candy has always kind of been problematic no matter what angle you approach her from, but oh, I I do not enjoy nah. cartoon Candy. <laughs> no. She's terrible. She's so mean and like if you if you stick with it, which I which I understand people would not do after seeing Candy, even in her first appearance, she does get better ever so slightly better. <laughs> but 
she is just, just so unlikable in those first few episodes. Like again, like you've seen the you've seen the thing where she like slips on a banana peel and she's like, "Our date is off, Donkey Kong. Don't call me. Don't don't drop by ever." It's like, right? Whoa, it's, whoa, it's, whoa! It's, it's like, yeah, it's like <laughs> okay, if she's wired like this, and I'm not talking about the Candy Kong robot. Like I'm not talking literally wired. <laughs> um, <laughs> if if this is the way she is, what does she see in Donkey Kong, and what does Donkey yes. Kong see in her? Like what? What does Bluster see in her? Right. What is like? I I realize she's the only adult woman in in this cartoon, so it, it just kind of becomes the whole Smurfette thing. But seriously, like she she is just so unpleasant, and that that is just the biggest mistake you can make when when crafting um a. a any show where you like it, it's mostly like a boys club and you have one woman in there and uh and and she's just um she's just mean because you know like oh that's what makes it spicy well no that's just what like makes her an unlikable character like why why can't she be one of why, why can't she be like one of the gang just one of the gang you know i i don't know and like one of the one of the writers on the show uh Erica Strobel she was like integral in getting the show back on track after the original writers were fired. Yeah, she hated Candy Kong with a passion. Oh, really? Well. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. I can find the quote here as I was putting together my uh, video for the DKC cartoon. Okay. She said, "I have to say, I really hated Candy. Just looking at her weird design made me cringe. She looked like a burn victim." Uh, <laughs> But <laughs> she she did hate candy. She really hated candy. <laughs> and, you know, we've recently seen the concept art for a lot of the characters who were proposed for the show. Some who did not make the cut, like Rambi, Espresso, Winky. At, at one time, they toyed with the idea of bringing them in, into the cartoon. But there is some concept art for Candy taking her design from DKC and sort of toning it down a little bit, making it a little bit more palatable for a family audience. And I really like, I really like the way this, uh, this Candy Kong looks. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm not sure if they were trying to draw a swimsuit. She doesn't look like she's, like, wearing anything, really, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I I think she's got like a one piece. Yeah. But she she looks like DKC Candy Kong with like braided hair, like like and the pigtails tie, almost. Yeah. Cute. And she looks like uh a really like uh cute fun character. She doesn't look mean. She doesn't have a permanent scowl on her face. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm just picturing it now. Like, oh God, just stop but scowling at me, please. It, it's not just candy. <laughs> it's like the the whole like structure of the show. <laughs> I feel like most plots involve misunderstandings with characters. Like the one I always go back to, and the one I always talk about, always gripe about, is the episode where Diddy Kong thinks that Donkey Kong is after Dixie Kong. Like he wants to steal Dixie away from Diddy. Yes. I'm like, whoa, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for as problematic as that is, just the inherent nature of it, just like all, all the characters were always like suspicious of each other and always just like, I, I don't know. There was always just this 
underlying hostility that was off-putting for yeah. me because I wanted a fun hangout with the characters that I loved and who I presumed loved each other. And mm-hmm. you you very seldom got that. And I, I think, like, the core interpretations of the characters, like Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, even Cranky Kong to an extent, I think, like, they, they were basically there. Like, I don't really have any, too much of an issue with the way most of the characters were portrayed. I just have an issue with the way they interacted with each other. Uh-huh. Like, in that very same episode, uh, what was it? Yeah, everyone thinks that DK is doing stuff, and he's not doing it. They don't give him a chance to talk about it. And then finally, Cranky draws the line when he sees a bunch of banana peels in his house, and he's like, I am banishing you to the mountains for the rest of your days. So he's basically just going to starve and freeze to death. And I'm like, wow, 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 you think he committed murder or something? <laughs> right like video game was, cranky yeah. kong is a bit of a bitch uh he, mm-hmm. he he's he's uh he's cynical and sarcastic but there is a heart to him um yeah and he would never banish his son slash grandson into the hinterlands for any reason <laughs> um so yeah like for for as much as we talk about how um, salty Rare's humor could be, uh, th- there was a heart to it that I feel like the cartoon maybe missed the point of at at times. Yeah, at times. Like, it, yeah, watching the show, there is a little bit of that. There's a teensy bit of a family dynamic, but early on, it's very off-putting. And if you know the characters like we do, you'll be like, oh whoa 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 what are you doing it's like really you jumped to this conclusion over what (laughs) now granted if they were just trying to salvage the pre-existing storyboards from from the um dumpster fire early iteration i i can see like i can't imagine what those were like right like they if they didn't have a lot to work with maybe they tried just to make the best of a very bad situation but not knowing that in 1998, uh, when I first watched it, not knowing any of this history, just seeing this presented to me cold. Yeah. Oh, so they hit it very well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's basically why I resented the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. And it was just a big slap in the face to this Donkey Kong fan. I can tell you what. But here's the thing, Malik. Here is the cold, hard truth. I didn't actually stop watching it until sometime probably in the late 1999, maybe early 2000. I would you were hate watching it before it was cool. (laughs) It wasn't even hate watching. It was holding out (laughs) hope that it would turn itself (laughs) around or at least turn itself around to my standards because it was still a Donkey Kong Country cartoon show. I would still tune in and tape it every Sunday morning when it aired. Um, I would never enjoy it, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, this was around the same time I kept seeing Phantom Menace in theaters, hoping, like, trying to convince myself it was a masterpiece because Dang. I just couldn't accept that the new Star Wars movie was uh, mid, as the kids now say. I, mm-hmm. I It was just... Um, it was just like, well, this is a Donkey Kong Country cartoon. I I need to like it because I love Donkey Kong Country. And, yeah. you know, at, at that age, too, you can't just separate 
things like, oh, well, I just don't like this adaptation. Oh, well, no harm done. I hope some people are getting something out of it. Um, I, 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 I had to, like, all or nothing. I had to love it or I had to burn it to the ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I feel about, uh, I, I won't get too off topic, but I feel that way about Ratchet and Clank and when we, when I saw the Ratchet and Clank movie, which was actual garbage on the screen. So yeah, I burned, <laughs> I burned that to the ground, but I, <laughs> but I could still like everything else, you know? <laughs> uh, um, so in the, in the live stream, <laughs> talking about adaptations, Freezer says there were three Sonic cartoons in the 90s, and none of them are the same tonally. That's true, actually. In fact, today's the 30th anniversary of The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. Is that the, the one with one. Jaleel White? They all have Jaleel oh. White. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the first one with, like, Scratch and Grounder, the chicken and the robot. I'll take your word for it. I don't know what those words mean, but, um, so, sorry. So this episode, um, is not just about my problems historically with the Duncan Country cartoon. It's about of how I eventually made peace with it. And a big component of that is I grew up. Um, I, I matured. Yeah. I, I didn't put away childish things as the Bible tells me to do, but I, gained perspective on on i i guess uh what matters what doesn't and i let go of just my stupid little nitpicky ways well not entirely but where it was holding me back as, as a human being and the truth though is that this has been a long process of me gradually accepting the Donkey Kong Country cartoon, not liking it, not loving it, but gradually mm -hmm. making peace with it. And most importantly, accepting that other people can really love it and, and not having to argue with them, not having to make attempts at changing their mind. And this, I didn't even realize when it was happening this very piecemeal process of me unclenching a little bit when it comes to the cartoon. <laughs> it, it was kind of this drip, drip, drip thing. And then eventually ew, my bucket ew. is half full. And I'm like, oh, oh, I got a half full bucket of, uh, I, I guess, um, lukewarm opinions on the DKC show. Okay. So <laughs> this honestly started relatively early on. And if you would have asked me in 1999 if this changed anything, I would have told you no. But in retrospect, it kind of helped just a little bit. And that is when Donkey Kong 64, November 1999, soft canonized certain elements from the cartoon. It didn't make the cartoon necessarily canon, but it took things from the cartoon and kind of um, laundered them. It kind of put them through the rare wash and made them more palatable to my anti-cartoon brain. Um, so, of course, the biggest example, the most obvious one, is taking the Crystal Coconut, the all-powerful MacGuffin 
wish casting device from the cartoon and turning it into a collectible item of which there are many in Donkey Kong 64, the crystal coconuts, uh, multiple crystal coconuts. They're, they're just like these little totems that contain magical energies. They, they can't like alter the course of reality. Like they, they, <laughs> they can't, you know, change can't smite your enemies. Yeah. They, they can't change the fabric of nature for that. You have to go to ukulele and the one book, but the crystal coconuts, they are just these little items you can collect um, throughout Donkey Kong 64. And in preparation for this episode, I even asked um, some people at Rare, hey, do you remember why the Donkey Kong 64 team decided to implement crystal coconuts? And I couldn't get a clear answer from the multiple people I asked. Nobody really yeah. remembered. Um, the The closest thing to a consensus I was able to gather was that when George Andreas took over Donkey Kong 64 sometime in um, mid to late 1998, he wanted to add more collectibles because the scope of the game changed. It, it became more like a Banjo-Kazooie game on steroids. And I, I think they looked to the cartoon for well, what, what can we pull from all aspects of Donkey Kong when adding collectibles? And they got the idea of the crystal coconut, and they're like, what if we turn that into a collectible? And so it wasn't just this effort of, well, what if we take elements from the cartoon and make them canon because there might be fans of the cartoon now? It wasn't necessarily that much forward thinking, although there might have been some of that, like... um on a more low-key scale, because they did look to the cartoon, and they, for example, made Cranky Kong a chemist, which uh, the the Cranky in the cartoon is always dabbling with potions, which was not an aspect of the character before the cartoon, but in Donkey Kong 64, they did add that to the character. They essentially made him something of a mad scientist in the game, And, and that game was full of a lot of wild swings, like making Funky Kong into an arms dealer. Um, <laughs> but... I remember that from the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Funky from the show, um, <laughs> he, he's, he's kind of accurate to the Funky of the games. Um, but minus the pants. Minus the pants. <laughs> um, but you know, even the games kind of made his fur a little bit more blonde in the buyout era. Yeah. Uh, just to, just so he's not so visually identical to Donkey Kong. But, yeah, no, uh, the Chemist Cranky Kong. They also took Dixie Kong's cartoon clothing and they sort of reinterpreted it for Tiny Kong's design. I don't, well, I can sort of see. Hmm. So, okay, okay. That's the only one I'll argue with you okay. on. Yes, it's a flower. Yes, and yes. it's white. <laughs> well, Dixie, instead of wearing, um, like a pink, cu- like tied off shirt, um, as she does in the games, she's wearing a blue s- sort of tank top with, uh, like a-, a daisy on it, I guess. Yeah. Um, like Daisy Kong? Daisy like Kong, original? as Nintendo Power <laughs> would call her in the odds. 
but she still got a pink beret. So, you know, it, it just, just kind of, I, I don't know why they made that design choice. Because it's not like they gave. Yeah, that bothers me. It's not like they gave <laughs> Diddy Kong, like, the stars on his shirt. He's He just got his DKC1 red shirt. Um, yeah. But but they gave Dixie a flower on her shirt. But Tiny's wearing overalls, and they gave her a very similar-looking flower on her overalls. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I would say that might have been consciously or unconsciously inspired by Cartoon Dixie. Um, I, I've never got that clarified one way or another, but I think I'm confident enough to chalk it up as a reference. As a little, yeah, little reference. yeah. If, if it's true, I'd believe it. I'd also believe them just saying like, oh God, what, should we put something on Tiny's overalls? Yeah, sure. What 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 do you think she like? Flowers? Yeah, but Just they, put a flower on there. They they didn't do that for <laughs> Lanky Kong or Chunky Kong. Like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to put that on overall. Well, what? No, crap. She does wear overalls. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's also I I think a greater emphasis on Clump and Crusha in, in the game. Crusha is not a baddie in the game, but he's unlockable in multiplayer. And I feel like that wouldn't have been the case if it wasn't for the cartoon. So so they definitely, yeah. I, I think they first looked to the cartoon for inspiration on items to add to the game. But from there, they did, you know, say, well, what, what if we did this? Because, you know, we, we don't want to alienate people who got into Donkey Kong via the cartoon and it it wasn't this thing where oh we hate the cartoon we need to try to make some of it work within the context of our wholly rare canon trust me nobody on the dk64 team was thinking in those terms but um that 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 was dk vine's take back in 1999 well they're obviously adding this because they hate the cartoon but they want to make it work within the logic of their own canon (laughs) ah Logic cannon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that <laughs> that's was, what they were thinking. That was never the case with DK sixty four, but um, <laughs> that that did help make certain things more palatable for me, uh, even if I didn't recognize it at the time. But mm-hmm. it was two thousand four, where there was a very remote possibility. It was never a real possibility, but it popped into my head and I definitely entertained it when Malik do you remember Game Boy Advance video yes I do I was never yeah I do remember like sitting in like grade school over the shoulders of friends and watching stuff on GBA video (laughs) I never owned any of these but I do remember when they released uh, Pokemon anime episodes on Game Boy Advance cartridges. I think there would be like two per cartridge. They they released yep. several. This is a very cute novel concept. Like, oh yeah, let's let's watch cartoons on our Game Boy Advance. But the Game Boy Advance was a wildly successful handheld device. It it was. Um, a, a huge defining part of the aughts for those who weren't around. And so it, it makes sense they could do this, so why not do it? I mean, it, it was before we could just watch anything we wanted on smartphones, so it makes sense. Um, and there were also, like, I think movies on there. What was Shrek? Shrek, Shrek, Shrek was on it, right? I'm pretty sure Shrek. Shrek 1, there was a Shrek 1 and 2 double pack for oh, GBA. Oh my god. Can you imagine that? Maybe that's how you should get into the Shrek movies. How did they even <laughs> fit Shrek 
on the. I don't know. It doesn't. It's. It doesn't flow very well. It doesn't look great. But in two thousand and three, on a dimly or not lit at all GBA, I think that might be heaven <laughs> for somebody. <laughs> it, it was a miracle age we were living in. That's for sure. But yeah, so see, seeing like these these Pokemon anime cartridges. GBA cartridges on Toys R Us shelves or, or wherever, uh, I did entertain the very remote possibility we would get the same for Donkey Kong Country. And by DK Vine's <laughs> logic, by DK Vine's standards for what is and what is not canon, if they released Donkey Kong Country episodes for the Game Boy Advance, in a GBA cartridge, well, then we would have to consider those episodes at the very least Donkey Kong canon, DKU. So I feel like if the show was still running at that time, it eventually would have happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I think part of the problem was, and I don't know how the rights issues broke down. Like, I feel like Nintendo had much less of a stake in the DKC cartoon than they did the Pokemon anime. So mm -hmm. th there was that there, there, there was the, the wonky rights issues. There was the fact that the cartoon had, you know, ended production for several years and that this was a very awkward point for Donkey Kong as a brand where they were really sure what they wanted it to be. And if Donkey Kong Country, the cartoon was the best face to put forward when it came to presenting Donkey Kong. Maybe that's not the case, but I, I just feel like had this technology been around on the Game Boy Color, we would have potentially <laughs> seen it. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, I, I was thinking back to that Game Boy Color commercial for Donkey Kong Country for, for, for the Game mm -hmm. Boy Color, where they used the models, the assets from the cartoon for the, the commercial. Like, that's the closest we've ever come to the cartoon actually intertwining with the games where they even had cartoon Donkey Kong riding on Rambi for, for the only yeah. time. So, And in France, they actually did have a couple other commercials with those models, actually. But this is the only one that ever made it stateside. Yeah. So I, I was mentally debating what we would do as DK Vine in 2004 so, and a part of me was dreading it. Part of me was hoping it would never happen because I didn't want to deal with the headache. But I have to admit, a larger part of me was actually relishing the challenge. Was actually <laughs> wanting to say, I have to now sit down with two to four to six episodes of the Donkey Kong Country cartoon <laughs> and figure out how their full-fledged canon to Rare's video <laughs> games, to Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, to Donkey Konga, to DK King of Swing, you know, whatever was coming out in that era. Um, part of me really looked forward to that challenge, and part of me is a little <laughs> upset it never happened. And I know people out there, given I see in a live stream, would be saying... Uh, why don't you just uh, accept that the cartoon is canon and just make it work? And um, to answer that, I was like, well, I don't have to because it's not. <laughs> but <laughs> but this would have forced me and this this would have been a fun challenge. And I, I think that is the first and last time I ever considered 
how I could potentially fan wank it as canon. So I, I, I was doing some very like rough draft rudimentary work in my brain space. Like I would go on these long hikes and I'd be like, all right, think about it, Heil. Congo Bongo Island could be a separate island from the main Donkey Kong Island, but still part of the DK Isles as established in Donkey Kong 64 and Donkey Kong Country for the Game Boy Color. And, uh, you know, and, and from there I could go on, but it never came to that ultimately. But it was the first time, Malik, that I really danced with the devil where I really attempted to broker a piece with the Donkey Kong Country cartoon in my brain. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we went our separate ways again. <laughs> <laughs> but that that era of the buyout years, you know, um, contentious all around for real and made up reasons. But it also had a small but not insignificant effect on my views of the Donkey Kong Country cartoon because so much, as I said. Of the rare era stuff was just held up on a, a pedestal at the time because rare was the only voice behind Donkey Kong and the only voice behind the characters they created, like Diddy and you know Cranky, who they didn't necessarily create, but they um, reinterpreted. Yeah, sort of, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. The buyout era threw a lot of the rare era stuff into question, not for me, but in, in the general cultural sense, because, you know, it, it was a generational turnover. The buyout had happened. So a lot of hardcore Nintendo fans just turned on rare in the blink of an eye. Uh, but even before that, you know, there's kind of lines being drawn because online you know kind of gaming culture wars were like viewing oh well i only like games made internally at nintendo and rares this outside studio and they only just copy what nintendo does me 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 and oh i'm so glad i wasn't around for that yeah it it was getting (laughs) kind of stupid even in the early odds but the buyout era just accelerated everything and then you had you know gen x um, magazine writers and video game journalists online who weren't into the rare stuff and you know it was it was sort of influencing the discourse of the younger millennials um at at the time and you know it, it was just a really hard time to be a fan of rare in general because 90s nostalgia hadn't kicked in and you know we we were still kind of on the outside looking in those of us who grew up with it so because of that, I started looking at the Donkey Kong Country cartoon in an entirely new light. And, you know, th- th- this was a contentious time for Donkey Kong, and some of that was nonsense. It was stuff like the mistranslated Jungle Beat interview that IGN ran and gave an entirely different context to, an entirely different flavor right. than what was intended. But it made us think that there was this internal war against rare characters like Diddy Kong. And uh, it wasn't true, mm-hmm. but that's what we were led to believe by trusted sources like IGN. And I didn't speak a lick of, you know, Japanese, so I, I didn't know. Um, so, yep. Um, and, and maybe I reacted to it in a very immature way. But, but anyway, um, because of that, I would look at stuff that was drawn from the rare era, 
with Diddy and Dixie and Cranky and Funky and Candy and Kremlings, even if they weren't called as such, like the cartoon <laughs> in a new light. And I was like, well, at least I appreciate that the cartoon, you know, used Donkey Kong characters, Donkey Kong Country characters. Yeah. And um, that that kind of was a weird feeling to have where it was like, well, you know. It's not my cup of tea. It's not the way I would have done it. It's not my favorite interpretation of them, but at least they're all there. Yeah, like that's the, that. what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> yeah, there's even current stuff out there that's like, wow, even the DKC cartoon uses these characters more than Nintendo does these days. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I, I very much adore Donkey Kong Country Returns and Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. I, mm-hmm. I do. I do. Like, let's not make that uh an open question because it's not i i adore those games but it it is like a bit weird like (laughs) you 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 couldn't use anybody else like nope yeah (laughs) and i know like the cartoon doesn't use any animal buddies but no it's just at least they thought about them at least yeah right i mean i'm I'm sure retro thought about ingard you know from from time to time but yeah what's your excuse you had a budget (laughs) (laughs) couldn't <laughs> <laughs> kill would it kill you to put winky up on the wall or something in a drawing or something <laughs> <laughs> right at least at least yeah at least rambi was referenced on the emblem on on the carts in the super mario brothers movie yeah <laughs> but malik as i've said i've said this before it was the smash ballots of the mid 2010s and the war to get K. Rule recognized by Nintendo. So, so kind of um, apropos of the retro studios discussion we just had, it really made me reconsider not what the Donkey Kong Country cartoon meant for me, but what it actually did mean for other fans. So this is where I stopped being so damn selfish. Because (laughs) the the thing is, it is fully within my right to dislike the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. It's not Mm -hmm. for me. It's just really not my thing. But the same way that the Super Mario Brothers Super Show hit me at just the right age for it to be this kind of defining, um, inspiring portrait of Mario and Luigi and the Mushroom Kingdom gang. So too was the Donkey Kong Country cartoon for so many other people who were younger than me. And it influenced their perceptions on the Kongs and the Kremlins and, and just the world of Donkey Kong. I think I was just the wrong age and of the wrong mindset when it, when it came to the U.S., I think mm-hmm. I, I think I was just too old and too passionate about the source material in a way that I never was for Mario when I first saw the Super Show. Like I really, really liked Mario. I I loved Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers Two, the you know Super Super Mario USA. But I jumped into all of that in the late 1980s when I was a very, 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 very little kid. I was super young, preschool age, um, didn't even, you know, know my full ABCs when I was 
first playing Mario. So, yeah, yeah, I I would have my dad read me the instruction manuals because I wanted to know more about what was going on in the games. So I I had no true conception of the Mushroom Kingdom or Subcon, you know. So the cartoon helped shore it up for me in a way that the games never did. The Donkey Kong Country cartoon could not do that for me because it was already this gospel truth for me. Everything that the instruction manuals and um, the game said and, and even Rareware, the website, said, which I read, you know, um, a short, like, month or two before I first watched the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. Um, the the mm-hmm. DKC2 cartoon could not penetrate any of that for me. It could only irritate me for what it wasn't. <laughs> and I get that. Because, yeah, like I said before, like, I was not in that position. I just saw the cartoon one day and I was like, oh, cool. There's another thing of that thing that I like. Right. But, yeah, if if DKC hit me at my core and I had stuck around with it for a few years and then saw that with no, like, prior anything, th- yeah, it would... Pr- it would steer me away too but i i I understand like like i really started to get what people saw in the donkey country cartoon that that i never could when the smash ballot really became this like all hands on deck mobilizing effort to get king k rule into smash brothers and and like there's never been anything like this in our fandom especially because we all kind of mobilized around one character even those who wanted dixie kong more than k rule or you know within the same realm banjo and kazooie um so many people who were fans of dk or the broader dku got behind k rule because we recognized well that would be the cooler i I think inclusion and it would mean the most for the series so yeah everybody got behind k rule and that support came not just from the games but the cartoon as well because people (laughs) were using the cartoon to explain to people who had never gotten into donkey kong k rules potential Right? Like, K. Mm-hmm. Roll, who had not been in a Donkey Kong game since Donkey Kong uh, bar- Barrel, Barrel, it was Jet Race, Barrel Blast, Barrel, Barrel. Jungle Climber? Which one came well, first? Well, it, it depends where you live, which came first. So, Jungle Climber, yeah. and, um, then, uh, what, what's known as Jet Race, um, in, in some territories and, um, barrel blast Don't in know other why. territories. <laughs> I always want to call it barrel race because that makes more sense for what's happening in the game, but it's, it's barrel blast. Um, but jet blast yeah. in some territories. <laughs> and, you know, K, K roll also appeared in, um, Mario, um, sluggers. K appeared in, yeah. yeah, that was his last appearance, but he hadn't been in returns. He wasn't in tropical freeze. So even those who liked those Donkey Kong games, hadn't been exposed to K rule. And so it's like, well, how do you explain the innate appeal of this character and what makes him so special compared to characters like Bowser? And so, you know, they, they use the video games to, to explain it like, Oh, he's got this personality disorder and he shifts 
each, each failure compounds it and he, he goes from a pirate to a mad scientist to a boxer. But they also used the cartoon and they were using like memes from the cartoon and, and video clips. And that was able to sway enough people that he was worthy enough. And, and so people who weren't even Donkey Kong fans fell in love with K. Rule, and they got behind him in the Smash Ballot. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, Mamie, just Mamie, the Donkey Kong Country cartoon can actually be a force for good. <laughs> I never thought about yeah, it like that. Like, it had yeah. only been a source of evil in my world. That's yeah, because I I felt the same way. Not the source of evil, but like memes. Yeah, it was actually bringing people joy and and happiness, and it was getting people excited about K. Rule, like for in a video game context. Oh my god, I had never considered this before. Mm-hmm. Like just <laughs> even I did that for like Smash Brothers Four, one of my earliest videos. I was like. K. Rule is so great. Can we please have his voice from the cartoon? I, I, that was one of my first like rallies for K. Rule back in the day in my YouTube career. But yeah, people really jumped on it with Smash Ultimate. And it was really well, great yeah. to see. And yeah, like the, the thing is, we thought we failed when, uh, the Smash ballot completed and they like announced that Bayonetta was in the game and then here, here's Cloud or, or whatever. But, um, mm -hmm. it turns out we actually succeeded and that, um, K. Rule, uh, actually, um, like more or less, depending, you know, I, people can uh, split hairs, you know, who won what, depending on what territory, but K. Rule was a winner of the Smash ballot and he got into Super Smash Brothers Ultimate as a result. And, um, I don't think he would have if it wasn't for the cartoon. And so I, I mentioned this at our MAGFest panel that Cameron and I did in January 2020, you know, before the pandemic shut down the world. I said, you know, mm -hmm. one, one of the people in the audience, when we were taking Q&A, they asked me what I thought about the Donkey Kong Country cartoon, because up until that point, it hadn't come up. And I, you know, I was, I was honest. I was like, look, it's not for me. I'm not a fan of it. But, you know, actually, I, I've come around on it a little bit because I recognize what it means for so many. And it got K. Rule into Smash Brothers, and it basically saved K. Rule as a character in in the video games as a result. And so because of that, even though it's never going to be for me, I can recognize what it means for others. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like yeah, it, it doesn't have to be tailored for me. Not everything has to be tailored for me. Heil Russell from off of DK Vine. Mm-hmm. So that, that is my m mature take on the subject. But two things this year, Malik, have tipped me even further in the camp of, well, I'm glad the cartoon exists, I guess. What would those be? The Super Mario Brothers movie, for me, um, did portray an emotional arc, an emotional relationship between the characters of Donkey Kong and Cranky Kong that was far more faithful to the games than anything that the original Donkey Kong Country cartoon ever did. And it also had a cameo from Diddy and Dixie and also Chunky and Swanky. I finally got Swanky Kong in a cartoon, Malik. So <laughs> finally, my 25-year-old wish had come true. But 
The Super Mario Brothers movie also heavily deviated from video game continuity. You have the Jungle Kingdom instead of Donkey Kong Island, and it's sort of sledgehammered elements from Donkey Kong Arcade and Donkey Kong Jr. and Donkey Kong Country into the events of Super Mario Brothers. And me being a somewhat rational adult these days, I still enjoyed it very much. I still went into it and I was like, you know what? Uh, you know, that, 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 that was that was a good bit of fan service there. I have problems with the screenplay. You know, it, it, it's not like a, a brilliant piece of cinema, but I, yeah. I enjoyed it for what it was, right? Yeah. It, it brought me joy to see so many beloved elements on the big screen, even even in a new context, in a new light, in a new interpretation. And so if I could enjoy that, why can't I, at the very least, appreciate what the cartoon did 25 years ago, 26 years ago, 27 years ago, depending on where you live? Why can't I look <laughs> back on it and just let go and say, well, it is what it is? I really don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say maybe just because... I mean, it hurt you so bad. Well, yeah, at like the time. I, I think it's it's just one of those things where it's going to take a little bit more time. But at the very least, I can look back on it now, and things like Congo Bongo Island don't irritate me as much because, <laughs> well, now we've had two radically different interpretations of where Donkey Kong lives. They changed Donkey Kong Island again because they wanted it to be consistent with the Mushroom Kingdom and and everything else, and. You know, it, it, it works just as well there as Congo Bongo Island works for the cartoon. So, uh, you know, shut up. Shut <laughs> up, Kyle. <laughs> Let us do our thing. Let us be creative. Plus, plus, as much as I was, you know, okay with Seth Rogen and Fred Armisen as Donkey and Cranky and thought they were fun takes on the character, let's, let's be honest. Amongst ourselves, uh, amongst okay, all the yeah. friends here in Conversation Land, I think yeah. the cartoon voice cast, the 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 English voice cast, was superior. I think it captured the characters' essences in a more authentic way. I think, yeah, I think cartoon Donkey Kong and cartoon Cranky Kong. I think they are far more true to video game Donkey Kong and video game Cranky Kong than what Rogan and Armisen brought to the table. Mm -hmm. That's not me bad-mouthing what Rogan and Armisen did. Uh, I, I like Bernie Sanders' Cranky Kong as much as the next person. But, yeah, I, 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 I really have come around to the opinion that, you know what? For as much as I had an issue with the cartoon, I never really had an issue with the voice cast. Nope, I think they are, like, the strongest... The strongest aspect of the show, in my opinion, because it's all directed very well. And yeah, when I first heard DK talk as a child, I was like, that is the voice that I would imagine Donkey Kong would have. And even when the show wasn't in my public like consciousness, if, if that's the proper term I'm supposed to use here, it, when I just read stuff out as like DK, I just always remember what he sounded like in the TV show. And yeah, it's it's I love them. I love them all. And bonus points for it being like a Toronto voice cast and <laughs> a couple of people, couple of the people in that production of the voice cast know people that I know. And it's, it's kind of cool. Look at you name dropping Malik. Yeah. Look at me. I'm, I'm big. I, I do did you know gaming stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. I've earned it. <laughs> yeah. I like 
Richard Yearwood's Donkey Kong, I didn't like it at the time. But looking back on it now, yeah, that, that, that's Donkey Kong. Uh, and, you know, I, mm-hmm. I mentioned on the last episode when we talked about Charles Martinet retired from Donkey Kong. I said that, you know, he, he, he did his own take on Donkey Kong um 1994 um for like conventions and what have you he 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 voiced donkey kong and he kind of hit on you know passersby and um i i said you know it was kind of different from what richard yearwood did and what grant kirkhope did but there is a kind of a through line there between charles martinet's interpretation and richard yearwood's interpretation of donkey kong like there are certain notes there are so certain like vocal motifs that they both employ uh, that's like okay mm-hmm. you know something in the air something in the universe just tells people this is what donkey kong sounds like yeah i dig it um just like, yeah just like a cool almost almost surfer like not quite but you know what i mean yeah yeah um and of course grant kirkhope would bring a far more like rough um deep-throated take on Donkey Kong, which has continued to this day. But, uh, you know, I, I think as a more, like, mellow version of Donkey Kong, Richard Yearwood, I, I, I have come to terms with. And, you know, as as much as in my head, K. Roll is kind of the Dr. Claw Bond villain from Donkey Kong 64, um, mm-hmm. Benedict Campbell, uh, I think, is most people's preferred take on K. Roll. And I recognize... Um, yeah. I, I recognize the brilliance behind it. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody like like we talked about in the uh Mario movie uh conversation. We were like, who would you want to voice K Rule or whoever in a Mario movie? And I was like, I can't imagine anybody but Benedict Campbell. It's just he's perfect. <laughs> yeah, well and that's what the other thing that happened this year that, that uh-huh. helped tip me into cartoon camp um is that return to crocodile isle the fan produced animation which kind of serves as a spiritual sequel to the Donkey Kong country cartoon but also marries it more to the video game canon um and i i was i was watched that and i mentioned this in our interview with the the crew behind that and i said you know yeah with a few little tweaks here there I think I would actually dig the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. Like, I, yeah. even it being a like giant musical number, I was like, yeah, you know, it, with the right presentation, with the right thought behind it, without them just stopping everything and breaking out into song very abruptly. I, I kind mm-hmm. of like Donkey Kong as a musical. I see it now. I get it. All you had to do was just frame it with Crocodile Isle and fill it with Kremlins from the the various games who never made it into um, the cartoon. And um, apparently, and I'm set a, the island on fire. Yeah, per- apparently, I'm a soft touch. And then Malik, I I sort of just let the rest of my anger. My, my blazing inferno within me. I let it get snuffed out at long last to the point where I feel no hostility towards the cartoon anymore. I have, in all actuality, made peace with it. And <laughs> when I realized that, I was like, well, damn, I should do an episode about the cartoon with Malik because <laughs> I like, this is the, like the first time in 25 years where 
I just feel completely neutral about it. And, like, I'm not loving it, but I also feel yeah. no hostility. I feel no anger. I feel no ill will towards it whatsoever. And I'm like, wow, it only yeah. took me a quarter of a century, like one fourth of a long lived person's life to get here. But I got Some here. people don't get there at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be queuing up episodes of this on Prime <laughs> Video or whatever and, and having a marathon viewing or anything. But I can do a conversation about it with you. I, you know, maybe even I'll record an audio commentary for an episode or two down the line. Who knows? <laughs> um, but I also want to make clear that I also get it now. Like, I understand everybody who has ever listened to an episode of The Conversation or who has read DK Vine and has chafed at our hostility towards the cartoon. I get why you would feel put off or put out by that now nowadays like i i i understand that you know if it hits you at just the right age or you weren't just a tightly wound weirdo like i was um you you would have really liked the cartoon it would have been a defining block a defining pillar in your donkey kong fandom and it must have sucked to have the big donkey kong fan site besmirch it at all times so let me just say that I am done ragging on the old girl. I'm not gonna not gonna go after it anymore. I uh I I I have uh signed uh peace accords with the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. From this day on, we will coexist far apart, but still <laughs> I was about to say harmony might be stretched. Right. It, it, it's going to be uh, a tentative piece. We're we're laying down arms. That's that's good enough. <laughs> I'm proud of you. <laughs> so we do have calls to take, Malik, because I uh, those aforementioned fans of the cartoon, I feel like wanted to get some words in, not knowing where I was going to go with this episode. So I I want to hear what each person has to say. And I want you to hear what they have to say to Malik. And All right. why don't we go ahead and play the first call? I do want to remind people that if you want to hear yourself on the conversation, feel free to call the DK Vine hotline at 1-202-630-VINE. That is 8463. Give us a call. You, you can call at any time about any topic, but generally... We only play the calls pertaining to the topic at hand. So when we announce the topic of the conversation on social media and say we are taking calls on this episode and we tell you when we're recording, just get your call in before then and we will generally play. Sometimes people call in a bit too late and we don't get to actually play those calls. But, um, uh, you know, you can call in whenever you want and we'll eventually maybe play your call, even if it doesn't pertain to the topic that we're discussing. But Malik, are you ready for the first call? Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> well, okay then. Let's <laughs> play it. I shower you with coconut cream pies. I was not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, that was the extent of the call. Thank you, caller. <laughs> <sighs> well, 
Uh, what? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I've never found that line insanely funny, but I mean, I get it. I, I understand why people <laughs> snicker at it. It's just one of those memes that is funny inherently, like Donkey Kong's ass. Yeah, that one's okay, but Donkey Kong's butt has always been good, no matter no matter what. Yeah, but that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that one makes me roll my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's play the second call. Hey, Hal. Hope you move in is less torturous than you thought it would be. I've been there, and it's it's just the worst. You know, like leaving out of boxes, I've been there. Uh, as for the cartoon, uh, just want to give my thoughts really quick. I'm fond of it. I wouldn't call it good, because it isn't. But some of, like, the super elements of it and, like, just how obscure it is and how much it doesn't fit in with the rest of, like, the Donkey Kong universe, which I know is a turn-off for you, it sort of, like, draws me in. I've always been interested in the sort of obscure stuff about, like, worlds that I like. Uh, maybe that's because I've spent my entire childhood in Mario with games just learning about all these, like, obscure games and elements that I uh, wasn't playing with myself, but uh, it was, like, stuff before my era that I was just interested in learning in, and the cartoon really fits into that. And overall, you know, I, I wouldn't want the cartoon to be, like, the focus of the game to the other media, but a world without Bluster Kong or British K. Rule or, to put it uh, pointedly, tip the scale is not a world that I want to live in. So I want to end off with a quick question. If a Donkey Kong movie or show needed to take one, like, substantial element from the old show, otherwise it wouldn't get made, and it was up to you, what would you want that element to be? Oh, thank you for the call. This is a this is a good question, and it's kind of similar to something I've queued up for the end of this episode, but not specifically this. So, like the let's say the rumored Donkey Kong movie from Illumination, uh, assuming it ever happens now, assuming the strikes ever end, um, mm-hmm. it it has to take one element from the cartoon or it won't get made. Hmm. And, and this is also a tricky question because this would be ignoring any potential like rights issues. Like does Nelvana have like partial ownership of Bluster Kong? Like, is that a Nintendo character? <laughs> um, we, we, we still don't really have any clear answers to this. And I pride myself on knowing who owns what, like I have a whole internal spreadsheet about, what characters are owned by Rare versus what characters are owned by Nintendo. But, yeah, we, we, we don't really know, like, how much they could actually utilize from this adaptation of Donkey Kong. And you you see this in other things, like Batman. It, it's hard for the Batman comics to sometimes utilize things that were created in other media. Like, some sometimes they they do the work, like, you know, and, and bring characters in, but there are characters from, like, the Adam West Batman show that they historically have not been able to use at least faithfully because of rights issues. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know, but let's, let's ignore all of that. One element from the cartoon Malik, you go first. Okay. So first thing that comes to my mind is I would want K rule to still be posh and like, you know, classy and maybe have like a British accent. I just feel like that just works for K rule for me. And, I would love to see that on, like, the big screen. And like how we said in our uh, conversation on the movie, uh, someone like Andy Serkis would work as K. Rule. Yeah. He would bring a lot to that character. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Yeah, d- definitely for sure. For me, my might seem like a cop-out at first, but hear me out. Okay. Uh, I, I would want 
Funky Kong as a stoner. Now, <laughs> I say that because the cartoon interpretation of Funky Kong, I feel like, is the first interpretation of Funky Kong that really leaned into that more. Like, he, he was a kind of a California surfer pastiche in Donkey Kong Country. And there's a lot more going on for Funky Kong than just surfer dude. You know, he's a brilliant mechanic. Yeah. He's an entrepreneur. But I I think, like, the cartoon, it, it, it reinterpreted him as kind of like this Rastafarian. And there there was yeah. uh, uh, an implicit weed joke that made me laugh that you, you brought up, Malik, yeah, when you were on the yeah. conversation. And I was Never like, seen green clouds before? Well... Maybe once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think like I'm okay with that interpretation of Funky Kong now. Like I wouldn't want that just to be the whole basis of the character. Like I still want yeah. him to be like a, a genius mechanic and owning an airline and you know, whatever. But yeah, uh, I, I feel like that is the the one element that the cartoon explicitly brought to the forefront that I would be okay with um, for for other adaptations. Yeah. All right, well... I would, yeah, I can see where you're coming from from that. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. See, I feel, <laughs> feel like the caller wanted me to say Bluster Kong, but I was not going to say Bluster Kong. Thank you. No. For, thank you for the call, <laughs> caller. Um, we'll, we'll get back to Bluster Kong and, and my feelings on him potentially becoming canon in the future in just a little bit. Okay. Let's take our next call. Hi, hi, Ellen Malik. This is Thomas of the Kremlin Campaigners. I hope you both are doing well. I'm definitely interested in hearing you both unpack your experiences with the DKC animated series over the years, which, uh, how I hope this helps you kind of lay to rest the whole meme of, oh, DK Vine hates the cartoon. DK Vine only acknowledges it as Lord Harry, because I know you've been at peace with it for some time, just uh, had to kind of get it out there in more sustained fashion. Um, on my end, my first exposure to the cartoon was seeing DK's face um, smirking at me from off of the box of The Legend of the Crystal Coconut at Blockbuster Video. Then a few years later, after I got into the internet fandom space, I would kind of watch episodes as kind of a silly nighttime routine, just as, you know, a form of escapism, if you will. Something I know has been said and can personally vouch for is the cartoon's key role in the Bring Back K. Rule movement. You, of course, have a number of K. Rule fans uh, just of his portrayal in the show, which is even more evident after the hype around Benedict Campbell showing up in Return to Crocodile Isle. But more than that, I think the cartoon helped to make fan, helped the fans make the case that K. Rule deserves a future as DK's main villain in a way it would be harder to do just based on the games. His space time in the trilogy is confined just to the boss fights at the end, where you get cutscenes in DK64. It's easier to, for detractors to just dismiss him as unimportant that way. But in the cartoon, he's only one of three characters to appear prominently in every single episode alongside DK and Diddy. No coincidence there that they're now the three uh, playable representatives for the series in Smash Ultimate. As a cherry on top, his eye-twitching animations in Smash are something he's only ever done in the cartoon. I'll always appreciate that that became uh, part of Sakurai's vision for the character, on top of all his other winks and nods. In any case, I've rambled enough. I'm looking forward to seeing the episode and knock on wood some subsequent DK news in the months ahead. See ya. Well, thank you for the call, Thomas. And yeah, we, we, we did touch upon the substantial role the cartoon did play in the Bring Back a Rule movement, um, of, of which you were, of course, at the forefront. I, I think it's interesting, Malik, just thinking about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
because you don't really see reinterpretations or or characters that were featured so prominently in adaptations of other properties video game properties that is necessarily get the same glow up um in prominence in, in the games that K Rule did because of the cartoon. Um, for example, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. I, I've mentioned it a few times on this episode, but that is mm-hmm. like the, the comparable thing for me uh, as somebody who considered myself a, a pretty serious Mario fan until I eschewed all of that when Donkey Kong Country came out. Um, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show was like a, a very influential interpretation. I, I considered it like the definitive take on Mario and it really colored my views on the games and skewed how important I viewed some characters versus others. For example, the character of Mouser from Super Mario Brothers <laughs> 2. I thought that was like a hardcore, big time, serious top 10 Mario character because Mouser was King Koopa's sort of right hand lieutenant in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which was not a role he ever had in the games. I mean, he was part of Wart's crew, the the 8-bit gang in Super Mario Brothers 2. Never worked with the Koopa troop, you know, except in the cartoon. But because the cartoon said Mouser was so important, I thought he would always be around. I thought I thought like Mouser would just show up in things. And it just gradually mm-hmm. dawned on me sometime around the N64 era that, oh, nobody nobody at Nintendo actually gives a damn about Mouser. I think that might have just been an invention of Deke. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah, I get that. But yeah, but, I think Mouser is actually pretty cool oh, and I, yeah. <laughs> no, no arguments there. I if I had like editorial oversight of the Mario franchise for one game, I'd be bringing back Mouser. But my my point is like you don't see people like advocating for mouser let's bring back mouser because he was really <laughs> important in the super mario brothers super show or or fry guy fry guy was uh really cool i'm just talking about super mario brothers two bosses but they were all very uh prevalent in the super show or, or millie vanilli i want millie vanilli in uh in a <laughs> mario game i uh, you don't you don't see that and even things like the the reinterpretation of Bowser as King Koopa and all of his various uh, ticks and and foibles in the the animated shows like you're not seeing Bowser's popularity ever buoyed by that or like Dennis Hopper's portrayal in the live action Mario movie <laughs> I, I I don't know if it's a uniquely Donkey Kong Country fandom thing for the cartoon to lift K. Roll up out of the scrap heap as it did, but I am all the more grateful that it did. As somebody who is a fan of video game K. Rule, I will always be grateful to cartoon K. Rule for helping bring back the former. Yeah. And I maybe if Bowser had been out of out of commission for like twenty years <laughs> and made Maybe if it was the other way around, yeah. where K. Rule was always around and Bowser wasn't in Ultimate, people would be using uh, the Super Show to advocate for 
his spot in the game. I feel like that would happen because, yeah, I, I really like uh, Bowser in the Super Show. He's got a lot of great qualities, too. Well, <laughs> I mean, Bowser, a.k.a. King Koopa in the Super Show, King if Koopa. you think about it, he's essentially just K. Rule. Yeah, he's, he's, he's green. He's, he's a prototype <laughs> K. Rule because he takes on a new persona every episode. And he, he visually looks more similar to K. Rule than he does Bowser. So, um, yeah, yeah, but... I, I think an interesting thought experiment be, would be what if, like, the Super Show didn't use Bowser whatsoever and it used Wart? Or what What if another Mario cartoon came along and used Tatanga from Super Mario Land? <laughs> like, what, what if we had a big advocacy campaign for one of Mario's, like, non-Bowser enemies that then fell by the wayside? Ultimately, we don't know, um, but just a thought experiment, but... Kind of similar to what happened with K. Rule, so. Yeah. Well, thank you for the call, Thomas. All right, one more call, Malik, and then we are going to play a little game, you and I. We are Ooh. going to have a little round-robin session of what aspects from the cartoon would we be okay with with becoming video game canon. That sounds pretty fun. It will be pretty fun. <laughs> let's let's give our last caller the time of day first, though. Sure. Hey, friends. This is KRDS here, uh, talking about the greatest yellow VHS tape of all time. Trust your eyes. The mirror never lies. I can't believe that Nintendo signed off on making a Donkey Kong musical show which kind of does a perfect job embodying all the weird and crevice, like beautiful crevices that make up Donkey Kong Country. Emphasis on music, uh, Cranky Kong just being a total old bat. Uh, I just, I mean, me and my brother loved the crap out of this VHS tape back in the day. I really just want to know what your guys' favorite songs were from it. Um, yeah, and I dude, can't wait to listen to this. Freezer in the live stream says, even your calls are musicals. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I really stepped in Brings here. it out of people. So I have to be honest. I have to be upfront. I'm sorry, DKRDS. I do not have a favorite song from the cartoon because I've not committed any to memory because I think my brain has purposely excised them to keep my sanity at the time. I'm sorry, I, ca I cannot answer this, but Malik, I'm sure you yeah. have something ready to go. Sure. I, I've got quite a few that I've uh, accumulated over the years. Uh, Pirate Scorn. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, the other pirate song. <laughs> lying, lying, Booty Boogie. That's the one. Ah. That's the one. Uh, the Mirror Never Lies, as the caller was singing uh congo congo bongo national anthem and the one that i was singing to myself all day today in preparation for this episode and the video i'm making was uh monkey business where diddy turns invisible in the ep the very first episode that you saw oh yeah and i was just yeah and like i said donkey kong singing voice sterling jarvis he really carried that song and throughout the whole day i was just singing to myself you can't get away with this monkey business oh my god and i was Malik, just like this is so beautiful you just took me back to august 15th 1998 and <laughs> I just remembered how I was recoiling 
on the living room floor. <laughs> you sang it beautifully. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to think. Make you think that you did anything wrong just now. No, no, that's fine. I'm just <laughs> glad I didn't, you know, make you catatonic or anything. Just, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would guess if I had to choose, once again, coconut gun to my head, it would probably be pirate scorn just because of the ale storm connection. And then that, of course, eventually, in a roundabout way, led us to return to Crocodile Isle. But, yeah, um, I don't really have one. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I, I filled in for both of us. I appreciate it. I My 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 go-to cheesy, terrible Donkey Kong song is the DK rap. I'm, I'm, I'm a game <laughs> purist. What can I say? Can you imagine if Monkey Business showed up in the Mario movie? What would you have done in the theater then? I, I, you know what, I I don't know if there's any way to answer that. I think it just has to be an experiment that has to be tested in real time (laughs) for us to know for sure. So if I get into a position of power for DK, I'm going to put that song somewhere, somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. If you get in a position of power with DK and that's what you do with it, we're going to have some (laughs) words, you and I, Malik. (laughs) So I can't wait. With this new kindler, gentler version of myself, vis-a-vis the Donkey Kong Country cartoon, it does beg the question, what elements from the cartoon would I be okay with becoming video game canon? Now, this does not mean, in my opinion, canonizing the cartoon, but taking show-exclusive elements and bringing them into the games, perhaps in a slightly tweaked context, similar to the Crystal Coconuts or Chemist Cranky. So I thought we would go down the list, Malik. Uh, I provided you with a yeah. list. You you can um you can ask me one by one, and maybe even chime in with uh, your own thoughts on the subject. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. So let's start with uh, Bluster Kong. Oh boy. Um, all right. So uh, yeah, I, I front loaded it here. Did I? Okay. So yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bluster Kong is w- sort of what I view as the epitome of everything I did not like about the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. He was an original Kong created for the show. And I don't, I don't know. Like there's something about it that always rubbed me the wrong way. And I didn't really, I could, I couldn't articulate it back then. And I think it's only like viewing it in retrospect that I don't like that. I feel like Bluster Kong was coded as this antagonistically gay character. Even though he was Candy's romantic interest, he was still, like, stereotypically coded as basically a, a gay male. And I, I, I didn't, I don't know if I viewed it as sort of, like, subtle, like, gay bashing or, or something, but I feel like you can make the character work. A little bit, but maybe don't have him be just so stereotypical. Like even talking about like his mother and just these very like, I I don't know. It just, just very (laughs) like overwrought stereotypes that I feel like we've moved past in the last 25 years. Um, I think you could make the character Bluster Kong work, but maybe lean in on him being a little bit snooty, snootier versus 
um, some of what was perceived as, um, you know, effeminate traits. Um, so as I've, as I've been watching the show, he's very snooty and yeah. everyone gives him crap as they rightfully should. Yeah. So. I kind of like that's his role. I, everyone hates him. I I, I, I think <laughs> like again, joke. again, like don't make him so antagonistic. Like, like part of the appeal of the Kong family is that they generally all get along. So maybe have Bluster Kong be sort of like the Niles Crane of the group, where you can still give him this sort of um, refinement, this um, upper you know, crust sort of um, flaunciness, but without, you know, coding him as just such a, like, stereotypical, oh, he's he, he, he's everything Donkey Kong isn't, e- even in, you know, um, like, just, just the way he carries himself. Like, have him be sort of, like, the lovable um, snob yeah. versus the snob who is there as a rival. Yeah, and I would like a name that ends in an E, because that's the one thing that always gets me. Blusty Kong. Bluster. Blusty Kong, yeah. <laughs> Blusty Kong. Now, you can have Kongs. Snooty Kong. You can have Kongs that don't end with uh, the, the Y sound. Like, it has been known to happen. But I think Bluster Kong was one of the first, at the very least, um, at, at the time. Like, since then, we've gotten Karate Kong and, and Dread Kong, and but... Yeah, Bluster Kong, whatever. I, I think you can make him work. You would just have to reinterpret him, kind of rebuild him from the ground up because I don't know. Something about him kind of rubs me the wrong way. And, you know, maybe don't, <laughs> don't have him be a romantic rival. Like he could just be gay. Like we, we need more and out and open gay characters in Nintendo games. So like he doesn't mm-hmm. have to be after Candy Kong. He doesn't have to be there as a rival of Donkey Kong. He could just be. A, a, a gay man who uh who is part of the gang so let's see uh next thing uh the barrel factory yeah what do so you think? the barrel factory I, I i like a lot of people have said well you know you didn't like the barrel factory i really like that we saw where they made the barrels i guess i mm-hmm. guess like in retrospect it it's okay the problem is factories are always they're, they're always kind of viewed in the context of the video games as something the enemy puts on the island. So if you could do a barrel factory in a very eco-friendly way, uh, I, I would Yeah, be... it doesn't have to be a factory. Yeah, just just where they make the barrels. Like a shack? Barrel shack, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, like, I don't want it to step too much on the toes of the Juicy Jungle Factory from Tropical Freeze, which was a, you know, ecologically friendly one with nature factory as opposed to the factories that the Kremlins run. Um, so yeah, just, just where, where they make the barrels, that'd be fine. If that's Bluster's role, fine. Uh, I, I would be okay with that. Um, just mm-hmm. maybe not make it a uh, one-to-one factory because I feel like factories on Donkey Kong Island are generally a bad thing. Yeah. Industrialization that isn't like, wood and coconuts like e- even a conveyor belt is kind of like mm, i don't know seems pretty <laughs> suspicious <laughs> what if it was made out of like wood maybe maybe well like <laughs> if it could be like a more flintstones thing where it's like powered by you know like birds or something i don't know 
Now, let's see. Here's a big one. Uh, Eddie the Mean Old Yeti. Eddie the Mean Old Yeti. I believe Eddie the Mean Old Yeti was in that first episode I watched. Um, yes, he was. He was yeah. Terrible song. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, wow, you're just hitting me with uh, uh, a Sasquatch character, like, right out of the gate. So, mm-hmm. I've been on record as saying, like, Eddie is actually uh, a character I wouldn't mind so much, e- even more so than, like, taking bluster kong i feel like eddie you could maybe just like drop in like as is maybe with a little visual tweak here there like i don't mind the idea of a yeti who lives in the snowy regions of donkey kong island now to be fair dk king of swing did give us sassy squatch sassy sassy squatch so you know i don't know if he has already been rendered redundant because of sassy squatch maybe we just need to do more of sassy squatch again we already have toys maybe we should play with the toys we have at home rather than asking for a brand new eddie the mean old yeti <laughs> but yeah like i like have, having a kong who is like explicitly a crypt like cryptoid like a, a mythological ape like a, a bigfoot or a, a yeti or a skunk ape or or something like that. I think that's a fun concept that hasn't really been done. Banjo Tooie had the um had had the Yetis in Hailfire Peaks, but you know, as as far as the Donkey Kong series proper, it hasn't really been done. And and I don't think Sassy Squatch necessarily counts. So No, I'm looking at him. He's terrifying. <laughs> that is not a Kong. <laughs> that is a monster. Yeah. Um so, yeah, we'll put Eddie in the maybe column. <laughs> if, if we can find a way to make him work alongside Sassy Squatch, I think I would feel better about it. Okay. Now, even just saying this just kills me inside a little bit. Inka Dinka do. Nope. Yep. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Thank you. That's the that's the So I answer. think the term Inka Dinka do was some sort of novelty song from the 1950s. <laughs> if I recall, that's actually the origin of it. Um, but it, it, it's just like, no, it, it's just one of those, like, we're going to take these broad stereotypes, um, from like Africa or South America and we're going to give it a funny name. And e- even Juju the totem pole, I'm just kind of like, mm, maybe not so much. Like, I don't think Mumbo mm-hmm. Jumbo, the character, is necessarily problematic these days because he's just such a cartoony figure. Um, but just Inka Dinka do, I don't know. <laughs> I think he's kind of stupid. Yeah, I I hate saying his name so much. <laughs> yeah, he, he it's, it's kind of a stinka stinka poo. Uh, oh, oh God, yeah. Plus, we already have like these kind of. Um, like possessed artifacts in the Tiki Tech tribe. We, 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 we have stuff like this in a DK series already. Um, I don't think we need Inka Dinka do muddying the waters anymore. Yeah. I'm looking it up on Wikipedia and it says for the temple God from the Donkey Kong country TV series. Like, no, that's too far. That's way too far. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's see. Congo Bongo Island. No, I'm sorry. Like at, at this point, I can, <laughs> I, I can recognize that Donkey Kong Island is a terrible name, but it's been the name we've had for nearly 30 years. 
No one else had to change their names. Right, exactly. It's still the Mushroom Kingdom. It's still Donkey Kong Island to me. Congo Bongo Island. Plus, it gets even more confusing because we have the Congo Jungle. We have uh, DK Bongos. Let, let's let's not let's not muddy the waters anymore. As I said, like Congo Bongo Island, Mimi worked for the cartoon, but I will always go to bat for Donkey Kong Island in the games. Yeah, same here. Uh, let's see now. General Clump and Crusha as K rules right hands. Uh, yeah, I would be okay with this. Um, yeah, me too. I I think maybe give Crusha a rank as well. Um, cause I like the idea mm-hmm. of general clump to like put him apart from other clumps. Like he is the general of the clumps. Maybe have it be like Sergeant Crusher or, or something, just something, or even just yeah. give them like unique names, but it's still a clump and Crusher, and everyone knows what they're doing with it. Um, cause I yeah. do, li- I do like when Kremlings have unique names like Crunch Crunch is ostensibly a critter, but you don't call him Critter. He's Crunch. So maybe give them their own names. I do know, like, I think the Donkey Kong 64 instruction manual, like, referenced the clump who talks to K. Roll at the beginning as General Clump. So Rare's already kind of tiptoed up to this point, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I would be fine with having K. Roll have, like, people to talk off of. Um, have like um banter with and and cut scenes and what have you i think it works yeah i think so too let's see uh next one captain scurvy nah i'm sorry (laughs) so again i feel like this is just purely because we already have a toy box that the games provided us with and this would just confuse things already i feel like if you were to bring back pirate kremlings as a separate faction you have a ready-made character in clubba to kind of serve as their leader their ruler um their captain so captain scurvy plus we already have a scurvy crew in Donkey Kong country returns they're a bunch of crabs cap mm-hmm. captain greenbeard or whatever so it, it's already <laughs> like I feel like this is taking pieces that were used back in the day and have been used since and it's just a redundant, unnecessary character. Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, one episode reveals that Scurvy and Clump are brothers, so... Yeah, I mean, considering Captain Scurvy is just uh, a cannon from, from Donkey yeah. Country 2, and cannons are just clumps dressed as pirates, that does mm-hmm. make me feel a little bit better. Uh, Captain Scurvy worked for the cartoon, sure, but the games, I don't feel like there's that much room for him. yeah. So let's see. Next one up, uh, Polly Roger. Nope. You screech. You <laughs> nope. screech. Yeah. Yep. It's like he was right there. Come on now. Yeah. Ugh. Now let's see. Uh, finally, uh, musical numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Malik, the only musical numbers I will allow in Donkey Kong games is genuine Donkey Kong music. Genuine Donkey Kong music like Smash Mouth's All-Star as seen in the North American version of Donkey Konga 2. Rest in peace, Steve Harwell. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. This has been a File 2 production. Terrico.